Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Um, I want to give out our, our website in case you are interested in staying in the loop with all things Women to Watch and, and want to subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that as well at womentowatch.net, and that's women, the number two, watch.net. Uh, our guest today is um, hopefully going to be joining us, there may be some technical difficulty, and her name is Susan Muncie. Uh, Susan is the executive director and founder of Generate Hope in San Diego. And um, in the meantime, we, ha- we have, as we always do, Dr. Beth Dupree with us, and she's having uh, she's having a little trouble as well hearing us. So we're going to see if we can fix the technical difficulties that we're having. Um, In the meantime, let me tell you a little bit about what Susan is doing uh, in San Diego. Her organization, which is called Generate Hope, is a very, very important organization. It is a unique uh, long-term recovery program for young women who have experienced human trafficking. And um, when we get Susan on the phone, I think you're going to be really interested and inspired by her own life story um, and the work that she's doing because of it. In the meantime, there's my co-host, Dr. Beth Dupree. I can see her on Skype. Thank goodness something's working today. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Beth. Oh, I, for a minute I was listening to ESPN and I'm, I'm watching you talk and I'm going, well, either Sue's voice is very deep and she takes a sportscaster or I am on the wrong station. <laughs> As much as I love sports, I don't think I could pull off a whole show by myself yeah, talking about know. sports. I don't think I could either. So how yeah, are you? I don't, know. I don't think I could either. I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really hoping that uh, Susan joins us today because I was really looking forward to talking to her and also really enlightening the audience um, about this serious topic and the fact that it's going on in the United States, and I don't know that that many people are aware of it. So hopefully we'll, we'll connect with her, and if for some reason we don't, we'll, we'll get her on at another time. Um, I know that you have a lot to talk to her about. Well, the human trafficking um, concept and well, the, the education for me um, really came through my health system. Education for me really Several came through of my, my senior leaders came to a, um, that were part of a, a thing called uh, um, leadership and legacy. And after we do that leadership course, then we move on to another course called ministry leadership formation. And during the MLF course, um, the individuals that are part of um, that course have to basically really take a deep dive into a human issue. So um, the group that presented last quarter um, presented on human trafficking, and it was really eye-opening. And um, I mean, it, it made me look at things very differently. It made me look at interactions with different patients, because I didn't realize all the signs of trafficking and the, the control issues. and particularly some of the individuals who English may not have been their first language and not really knowing how they got into the country and what their situation was. So it really was an eye-opening experience for me. 
Well, um, just a quick note. We do have Susan on the line, so we're going to uh, welcome her in in a, in a few minutes. And um, in the meantime, I wanted to just get off topic for a second, Beth, and, and have you talk about an article that came out um, from your CEO at Holy Redeemer Health System, um, I guess this past week. Is that right? Well, it actually was an email that came out today. Oh, okay. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that anybody's actually read it or opened up the attachments because I haven't been accosted in the hallways. I did get a few <laughs> text messages from some of the uh, um, individuals in senior leadership. There's been a, um, we've, uh, re some reorganization in our health system. And officially, as of today, I hold a position as a medical director and vice president of the health system. And uh, it's uh, certainly a, some big shoes to fill. It encompasses surgical services, women's health, um, integrative medicine, employee health. So I have a lot of opportunities in the future to be able to help script how healthcare delivery is going to look in you know the year 2015 and the year 2016, which um, I was uh, introduced to Michelle Tenzik uh, right. from the truth behind the titles. Yes. And the irony is, you know, you connected her with me, and I just completed answering all of my questions. And it's funny because I never really thought of my title. I see myself. I'm a surgeon. So yes, being a physician, a surgeon is a title, but. Now, you know, I was medical director of breast health, and now my partner has that title. And so, you know, I'm chairman of the Department of Surgery, but it's a title. So what, what really, what do those titles mean? Like, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to other people? Um, and it's funny because I think of all the titles I've had, the one that people, um, at least individuals in healthcare, that they really kind of looked at as, oh, you're the chief of surgery. I was like, well, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of, <laughs> right. You know, yes. it, it's like, well, it's a great title, but with it comes a lot of other stuff. And so, you know, for me, this whole concept of the truth behind the title really came down to everybody's got a story about how they got there, which is why what we do on the show is so important, because you just don't wake up one day and become a VP of a hospital. That's right. That's right. It's, it wasn't something that I had on my bucket list. So for me to be able to currently um, be moving into this role and really looking at, you know, how we can not just improve the health of our health system, but also the health of our patients, um, that, that to me, it really, it really resonates with my soul. It's going to give me, you know, something um, to really focus on. And I, I have to share this picture with you. I'll send it to you. I actually I should tweet it out. My CEO sent it this weekend. It was an advertisement for a hospital. And... It has the backdrop of Central Park and people standing there, and it says, if our beds are filled, it means we failed. Mm. And so for a health system to totally get that, and I really, you know, it's one of the things I'm very excited about this new role for me is that I truly believe that my CEO gets it. I do believe that Mike Lane understands that, you know, keeping people healthy and really working to create a culture of health and wellness is what healthcare is really all about. It's not about waiting to care for the ill. Obviously, we're going to provide the care when someone is sick, but when you look at the big picture, we really have to focus on wellness, and that's where the whole integrative concept comes into, you know, healing mind, body, and spirit, making sure that we eat healthy, we exercise, and we de-stress. So um, I just hope that uh, 
as I move into this new role that I grow into it and that uh, there will be some truth behind my title. So we'll, we'll let you know as it goes. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on the new title. I'm very proud of you and always so honored to have you on my team. Um, and, you know, it gives me an opportunity to learn so much from you. And what a great goal to shoot for, empty beds, some empty beds in the hospital. And that, that's where health systems have to reframe their head. It's not about how many beds are occupied in your hospital. It's about how well are we doing at keeping people healthy. Yeah. Well, you know, on that note, I think it's a great time to, to bring our guest onto the show. Um, a lot of what she's doing certainly is, is on around the topic of wellness and care. And uh, again, uh, for the listeners, we're joined today by Susan Muncie. Susan is the executive director and founder of Generate Hope in San Diego. And what that is, is a unique long-term recovery program for women who have experienced some form of human trafficking. Susan, welcome to the show. Do we have you there, Susan? Can you hear us? It's the West Coast connection. I guess so. You know what? This is only the second time we've had this issue, and it, it did was from another guest across the country. Um, <laughs> I think sadly. California is a different country. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, well, Brett's working on it. I can see him trying to connect her again, and, and maybe, you know, it was just a dropped line. Um, Beth, one of the things I know you want to ask her, and I think it's one of the most important questions, and that is going to be um, what signs do we look for, people who really have no experience with what these women have been through, what signs do we look for um, to see if, if we suspect that somebody might be going through um, some type of human trafficking? And again, there's three different kinds. So here's, here's, what, here's what I learned through this process through the education of my colleagues. Um, when someone comes to um, your practice or someone comes into your establishment or whatever you do, if the person's accompanied by someone else who seems very controlling or abusive, a lot of times, um, you know, that, that behavior, you can feel it, you can feel the energy between them. Um, seeing someone ask whether they, you know, asking permission to eat or to be able to go to sleep or to go to the bathroom. And those are things that um, can be signs that they're very subtle signs, but you've got to pay attention to them. We also, um, you also can see, you know, if somebody's rarely allowed to be in public by themselves. And I think, you know, there, there are lots of different ways that people are trafficked. There are sex slaves. There are also, you know, there's physical um, entrapment. There's also psychological entrapment. And uh, being able to look for psychological or physical abuse signs. And as a healthcare provider, if someone comes into the emergency room or someone comes in to, to deliver a baby and they're not married to the person and, and there's clearly an, an abnormal relationship. Also, you know, if somebody's not able to, they don't get their own paycheck or someone else is holding their money for them. And those are, you know, those are subtle signs that I, I have to say that I didn't used to pay attention to all of those subtle signs. And now it's like my ears have been perked up because I've been made aware of the numbers of individuals that are actually trafficked in this country. You know, it's always surprising to me that, you know, we're learning about it and, and reading about it because of this show, but I don't seem to see a lot about it in the news. And I'm really keyed into the news. You know, I always want to know what's going on and uh, I'm, I'm tuning in and I just find it a, kind of remarkable um, that it's not 
so out there in the news because of the severity of it. And again, the different types of trafficking that's going on. It's, you know, it's really three types, sexual trafficking. Uh, of course, there's uh, terrorist groups recruiting young people to join their cause. And then there is the forced labor. So these are three areas that really, um, my goodness, it's, and it's happening in large numbers. I wanted to find out from Susan really specific things that they're doing in, you know, outside of the organizations that are doing all kinds of volunteer work and nonprofit, you know, what's happening behind the scenes? Right. Well, I was, I was, I was really interested in her website, generatehope.org. And under the stories of hope, um, there was this story that they share called Joanne's story. And I'm going to read parts of it because I thought it was very powerful. And I think it'll give our listeners an opportunity to, to hear what, you know, what really happens out there. So Joanne writes, when I found myself homeless, I was thankful I had friends there to help me out. One of them owned his own company, and I agreed to work with him. So this is a friend that she thought she had in exchange for a place to live. I worked there for the company for about a week until he informed me that I was not going to be working in the office anymore. I was going to be one of his girls. She was really confused by this and didn't understand it. It was then that she learned that he was a pimp in the San Diego area. He sat her down and with another woman and told her, that she had to do it in order to pay her way, that she was going to be a prostitute, and that was all there was to it, no questions asked. She was forced to go out and sell her body, which in many ways felt like she was selling her soul. And so this young woman um, got arrested uh, working on the boulevard in San Diego, and her saving grace was a detective who told her that, that she was way worth way more than what she was doing. And it was through that detective she was able to get into Generate Hope. And I get goosebumps, you know, hearing stories like this because, you know, that someone who was just doing their job and arresting a prostitute and just taking them into the station to arrest them, compared to this officer who chose to interact with this young woman and said, mm. like, you have a choice. Right. You don't have to keep doing this. Right. But if there, were, there weren't organizations like Generate Hope, you'd never be able, you know, you need a place to be able to go to. Um, when you're, you find yourself in that situation. And this, this whole concept of human trafficking, I think it's happening way more than people actually um, believe that or would suspect it. I certainly didn't believe the numbers. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Um, one of the things that Susan is doing so well beyond, you know, when, when young women escape from this life, and then, of course, they need all kinds of support and treatment, not only do they provide, you know, a really beautiful, wonderful, safe place to be um, and all kinds of, um, you know, mental health uh, support and resources, but they do, they go a step further and try to do things that will keep them from returning to that life because there is a percentage, no matter what kind of support they get, they go back to that life because that's what they know. It's so sad. And the, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting is that a lot of these individuals that are trafficked, they don't even realize, they don't even realize that they're being trafficked. They don't realize that they're being controlled. Um, they're they're really looking. It, it's you know modern day slavery. They're, they they don't see themselves as slaves. And so when you when you check out the statistics, 20.9 million people bought and sold worldwide. 20 million. Yeah, 150 that's billion dollars in revenue. 150 billion dollars. The average age of some an individual that gets into the sex trade, 13 years old. Mm. And this is San Diego, the eighth highest intensity area for human trafficking in the nation. 
You know, I wonder why that is. Unbelievable. Yeah, why is it so high there? And and 98% of sex trafficked victims are women and girls, which makes sense in the sense. And uh, the, uh, the, the sadness be behind all of this is that, you know, these are kids that sometimes are just going along minding their own business. And they can't, they don't, you know, they're, they're picked up on the street or they're abducted or they're, you know, or they get, they're lost in their teen years and they think that, you know, somebody's paying attention to them. But it's really, it's, it's a huge problem that I think has to be addressed, you know, far more than, uh, far more than I think we're doing currently. Well, you know, another piece of it is we talk about preventative medicine all the time with you. And I think certainly, why are so many young women falling prey to this? Why are they vulnerable? What is going on in their life that allows them to go to that place? And so obviously, we need some type of preventative programs. And, you know, I always have said as a mother that keeping your kids busy is one of the best things you can do to, you know, to kind of keep them out of trouble and keeping them busy and, and helping and teaching them that they have gifts and they have a purpose and they're here for a reason and really help them figure that out. Um, it's also, it's a big, it's a lot of self-esteem issues too because if their self-esteem has been undermined throughout their life, it becomes very difficult to, to move beyond that. Yeah, it, it's very true. Um, I wanted to also mention, I'm just kind of going through my notes. And, you know, while we don't have Susan on the phone, I can certainly talk about some of the great work that she's done. And um, she has her master's in social work from Smith College and um, over 25 years of experience in, in two different environments, one in a private practice and one in a hospital setting. And I was curious, you know, to, to talk to her about what the differences are. Maybe I can ask you this as a, as a surgeon and a doctor. Um, how do you, you know, what type of obstacles do you face when you're when you have a mission and you're trying to do something? And as a private practitioner, you pretty much have, you know, control and you can do the things that you want to do in a hospital setting. There's probably um, rules and regulations and and barriers um, that you have to follow. What would you, you know, as a doctor and a surgeon, what would you see would be an obstacle for her um, comparing those two environments, I guess, private practice versus a hospital setting? Well, I, I think what they're, what she's doing in her, in her, um, with her organization and with the, the uh, you know, I guess I would call it rehab. A lot of, a lot of the individuals who are actually trafficked have multiple, they have multiple concerns and issues. There's a high, high level of um, addiction. And the addiction may not come primarily from the individual who started taking drugs. A lot of the individuals who are trafficked are, um, they're doing, they're, they're, they're being given drugs in order to force them to do things. So there's multiple levels of rehab that need to take place. Sometimes it's the physical rehabilitation from being an addict. And then there's the emotional rehabilitation about learning, you know, learning to love yourself again and to have self-worth. Because when somebody is in a situation where they have been put down and uh, made to feel unworthy and uh, made to feel as though they are a possession, you know, getting that sense of self-worth back um, requires a lot of intensive, you know, intervention. And I think that our, our current health system is not set up for, you know, hospitals may see these individuals come through their emergency rooms, through their delivery rooms, you know, through a doctor's office for um, some type of an acute 
process. But the hospitals are, you know, we're not set up to actually have that next space to be able to, you know, even if you recognize that someone is being trafficked, you know, the, the, the question is, what do you do next? Who do you call? And um, there's actually a hotline that if you see somebody and you're in a profession, regardless of what, what it is, it's called the National Trafficking Hotline. So if you believe that you see someone or know someone that's being trafficked or needs help, um, the hotline is 888-3737-888. So it's pretty easy to remember, 888-3737-888. And we can post that on our website along with this, uh, along with this show. But I don't, you know, I think from a, from a healthcare perspective, I think it's about, re first of all, recognizing that somebody is being trafficked. I mean, that's the, that's the most difficult part of the process. And then, obviously, finding resources to be able to get those individuals the psychotherapy, the education, um, and the assimilation back into a society where they feel that they are a worthy individual. Yeah, I'm glad that you gave that information out. Um, you know, you mentioned law enforcement, and I think it's a, it's also important to talk about the fact that often people who are in these situations are viewed differently than someone who's out there living, <clears throat> excuse me, a healthy life, um, you know, and working and career. And again, it gets back to that story behind the title. There's a story behind every human being's situation. And I love the fact, yeah, that, you know, when, when law enforcement come upon these young women, they really need to take the time to find out who these kids are, where they came from, and what's going on. Um, not just assume, you know, that they're bad people, you know, oh, yeah. there, there's always a, there's always a reason. Yeah, a lot of times people, you know, if you see someone who is addicted, you know, you know, the assumption may be that they, they that that was something they chose to do. But um, the more that I've learned about trafficking, a lot of these individuals are actually they're drugged. They're actually forced to take the to take drugs in order to get them to do what uh, what they want them to do. And um, it's astonishing that we have that we have such a high level in the United States. Um, the other thing that I found out when. Uh, Marion and her group presented to our uh, senior leadership was that the Super Bowls are one of the highest, um, highly trafficked events that are out there. That you know, in, that the Super Bowl, that whole time leading up to it, in the Super Bowl, there are so many individuals who are trafficked, you know, during that time, and it's it's kind of a, uh, you know, poor state of our society that that's happening, and it's associated with such a high a visibility event like the game that's interesting and uh, yeah so they're you know they're very um strategic about where they're going to find these you know vulnerable young women it, it's it's amazing to me that you know that i have to have these kind of conversations with my daughter um in this country and and have her be aware of things like that um I, th I just got a note. I think I think we're going to have Susan in the second half of the show. I just wanted the listeners to know I'm speaking with Dr. Beth Dupree. Uh, our guest today was to be Susan Muncie, the executive director and founder of Generate Hope in San Diego, um, which is why we're talking about this this tough topic. And her organization is a long term recovery program for young women who have escaped that life on some level. Um, I did notice Susan when I was uh, when I was preparing for the show and I went on to to follow Generate Hope um, on Twitter. There are uh, you know similar links come up and there are many many different organizations 
um, around the country that are, you know, have the same goal. And, the, you know, because, you know, she's located in San Diego. And for the women of San Diego and the, the individuals who are being trafficked there, their organization is phenomenal because they're able to bring them in, you know, into a beautiful facility and provide them, you know, the care. And I, I also liked when I was looking at their website that they allow you, if you're going to donate to their organization, that you you can choose um, to sponsor somebody for their room or for their therapy. Um, it's a really amazing cause. And uh, a lot of times, you know, people, individuals, particularly those who may have broken free of trafficking, you know, if they're looking for a cause to support, to me this is certainly a great cause. And um, she is doing wonderful, wonderful work. Yeah, and of course, the toughest thing always for these nonprofit organizations is uh, raising money. And you know, it's 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 interesting to me because I think we all have we, you all have a, a cause. You know, you want to give where you can. Um, none of us are in the position to give to all organizations, and sometimes it's tough. You know, as somebody who is, um, you know, has sympathy for others and wants to make a difference, and we see all of these organizations, all these nonprofits, supporting different causes. This one in particular, of course, as, you know, a host of a program called Women to Watch, I think is extremely important. And anytime you're talking about something that's affecting, you know, such a, a large number of women. And, and again, you know, it really, it, it, I don't know why it's called trafficking. It's really slavery. It, it's, it's some form or another, especially if, as you said, they're actually kidnapping drugging these women and yeah. and um keeping them it, it really is slavery where's where's the outrage and they they actually um they they have a uh, part of their website called take action and they have volunteer tutors they have they need teachers that can fill in to help educate these individuals um and they actually have internship opportunities where you know people can participate and donate their time it's not always about the money I mean you know with my foundation we always say you know time time talent you know and if you know if if funds if writing a check is the easiest way to support I will absolutely always accept it but when you have time and talent coming to your organization to help to raise awareness and to um, bring the issues to the forefront it really it, you know it really can you know take a foundation from the ground and help to rise it to a place where um, the visibility becomes such that people actually, they, they, you know, they start to hear about it and see about it. And I think the more that stories like this get out, the more into people that are going to realize that it's happening, they're going to be aware of it, and, you know, they may choose to want to be part of the solution. Well, and that's right, and, and volunteering is so much uh, so much better because then you're you're experiencing it firsthand. Writing a check is always a good thing for a nonprofit. But you're so right. If you give of your time, uh, and it doesn't have to be an enormous amount of time, it just gives you that personal connection to that organization and their cause, and it's it's, it's rewarding. It's so much more rewarding. I love it. I love the fact that she's doing it. I love the fact that, I mean, I can't wait for her to tell her own story because I don't want to. I know. Wanna, and I, I, I'm I getting a sense that we. The punchline. Yeah. I, uh, I'm getting the sense that we have her and we're going to have her for the second half of the show, which will be great. And we'll give her, you know, all the time she needs to tell her story. You know, one of the most compelling pieces of her story, and I'll say this because she's going to, is that she 
has had her own experience as a young girl at the age of 16 with this topic. And so, uh, you know, it has to be in her own words how she came to that place and then certainly how she was able to get out of it. Because I think there's probably certain characteristics that people have that allow them to move past something so horrific and um, and and others that don't. And so we, you know, it's a good it's a good thing to talk about. You know, what can people work on so that they never fall, uh, young women especially, fall into something like that? I um, I heard a, a compelling story at one of the um, our Druding Center fundraisers for Holy Redeemer, a woman who had uh, been. I believe, I don't know whether she was forced, I don't know what the situation of how she got into prostitution when she was young, but um, she was in a program that did not give her long-term rehabilitation, and she said the worst thing about um, her process was that initially she was being prostituted, someone else forced her into prostitution, and because she didn't have a way out, she didn't have a great exit strategy, she didn't have the support um, and everything else, then she said the worst thing happened to her was when she failed the the recovery process she chose to prostitute herself because that's what she knew so for some that fail this process if they're not given the resources they go back to what they know and what they know is the drugs and the prostitution and when they choose that themselves then it's even more demeaning to their you know to their soul and to their spirit because they were not able to break free from that the life of you know of prostitution yeah yeah um listen we're going to take a quick break and i hope when we return we will have our guest for today susan muncie the executive director and founder of generate hope we will be right back There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com mammogram. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined by Dr. Beth Dupree. Um, very happy to have her with me today as we're having some technical difficulties with our guest, who was to be Susan Muncie, um, the executive director and founder of Generate Hope. Um, if we're not able to get her on the line, we will certainly uh, reschedule so that she can share her story with you. Um, she, Susan Muncie, as I said, is the, is the executive director of this organization, and they support and offer long-term recovery to young women who have experienced human trafficking. So, you know, Beth and I have been doing our best to talk about this topic topic and share uh, the information that we know. And certainly one of the things, you know, preventative um, preventative resources and, and classes and education and all of that good stuff for young women is such an important topic. I mean, we're talking about something I- extremely serious today, but just in general, um, you know, Women to Watch is about wellness and, and leadership. And Beth, maybe we can talk for a few minutes about some of the things that we think are really going to be helpful to help young 
young women today, especially in our culture that is so crazy, fast paced, and um, these kids are bombarded with, you know, information overload on a daily basis and a lot of topics that, frankly, um, lack substance. You know, there's a lot of superficial uh, things out there with social media. And um, I have a daughter. I know you have two sons. Um, It's often similar in what we have to teach kids about self-esteem. Certainly girls aren't the only ones who need that. You know, if you don't have confidence in life, you're, you know, you might go astray. Um, Yeah, I, I, uh, I was talking to a patient and her husband today and we were they were talking about how their their young son how much he absolutely loves to fish and so i was saying that how, what a what a blessing it is that you know their their biggest challenge is trying to keep their kid from grabbing his fishing pole and running down to the to the river to fish or to or to want to go to the lake and fish and my my children were both very very active and and very much wanting to do things outdoors but the we've moved into the technology society we've moved into um a place where you know, kids are sometimes being babysat by their iPads and they're sat in front of a TV to watch movies. And, and so they're, they're not having as many human-human interactions, you know, from a young age because there's, there's too many other things that they can do that don't involve um, the one-on-one contact with, mm-hmm. with other human beings. Right. And I know as a kid, I, I mean, I was always outside playing and, and, and going to the creek and, you know, I, we didn't. We never sat at home in front of the television as a as an option for what you do during the day. We were being very active, and I think when you're active and you're doing things outside the home, it teaches you skills. It teaches you how to um, develop relationships with other individuals. It teaches you um, life skills, how to how to survive in the world. And the life skills stuff is the stuff that I think you know. Think about our children. You know, I, I try to get my kids to stop texting all the time. Like, pick up the phone and call. Talk. Talk on the phone. A text message is that quick thing that flies through. It's here and it's gone. Um, and it's also people can react sometimes a little bit too fast to a text message instead of actually thinking and responding. Um, same thing with emails. How many, you know, I patients will a lot of times say, I can't believe you took the time to write me a handwritten note to thank me for you know, a gift or whatever. And to me, you know, that art of the handwritten note is something that I think kids, our society is getting away from it. So it's it's on so many different levels that we're missing that chance to stay connected as human beings and we're becoming much more disconnected. I mean, today's a perfect example. Technology is wonderful, but for whatever reason, that phone is not wanting to connect to that's, the radio station. That's right. And so as technologically advanced as we are, I mean, you and I are on Skype, and our Skype is working great. But, you know, that that little piece of technology, for whatever reason, that that is not, it's not connecting. And, and we're, you know, we're so um, beholden to the technology um, nowadays that people don't know how to just be and make that human-human connection. Well, one of the one of the things I find to be the biggest problem is that you know texts and emails um, lack tone. So you can say something, and it you know in your head you mean one thing, but it's read as something completely different, and that's something oh, that yeah. young people especially their their feelings are getting hurt because of texts that they're reading when really it was sarcasm, you know, or I know well, a I, joke. I always if I. If I get a text message in capital letters, I'll text back. I'm like, did you mean to yell at me? Right. Like, was that, is that your intention? 
because that's what those capital letters mean to me. Like somebody's trying to get my attention. Okay. Listen, speaking of that, I'm trying, I think we have Susan. Susan, are you on the line? I am. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm so sorry. I don't know what was happening um, with trying to connect you to the station, but I'm glad that we have you for the second half of the show. Yes. Very good. Um, so let me just remind the listeners, we are joined by Susan Muncy, and Susan is the executive director and founder of Generate Hope um, out in San Diego, California. And uh, Susan, you know, Beth and I were doing our best to to talk about your work in the first half of the show, and I want to give you an opportunity um, to, to get right into your story. I think it's really important to share with the listeners why you're doing the work that you're doing. Well, you know, there's a couple of reasons why I'm doing uh, this work with women that have been sex trafficked. Um, one is that I found that in San Diego there was no program available for women leaving the sex trade if they were able to get out. Uh, just nothing available for their healing. Um, and the other um, reason is more personal. Um, I was actually trafficked when I was 15 myself, and of course then there was nothing available. Um, but I, I feel like nothing is wasted in our lives, and that was my opportunity to um, jump in and, and get a program going so that women now could be getting that healing. Can, Susan, can you talk about um, your time then as a young girl of, of 16, and what do, what do you feel made you fall prey to that? Well, I think it's, it's very much the same as what we see now. Um, things haven't changed in that, in that way, and that is um, some kind of a vulnerability. And uh, for me, it was family difficulties, um, parents not available, um, difficulties with school, a number of different things. Um, what we often also see is that uh, these young women have been sexually abused as children. And that's where they learn that they don't have a right to their bodies, they don't have a right to say no, and if they want something that looks like love, then they need to, you know, give their bodies up. And um, what happens, and the same thing that happened with me as a trafficker, spots those vulnerabilities and um, moves in as if to have a relationship and convincing me and young women now that, um, that they're interested in that person, that they care about what their concerns are and what their troubles are in life, and um, that they want a relationship as a boyfriend. Yeah, you know, there's always that, it's, gosh, it's so awful, but they're very, very um, manipulative and, and thoughtful very. in their process. Yes. And we've worked with over um, 75 women um, to date, and I hear the same story over and over and over again. And it's just, it's almost if, as if they've gone to a school to learn the tactics. Do you, do you have an idea why you think San Diego in particular has such a high rate of this trafficking? Well, a lot of people think it's because we're close to the border, and, and that's part of the issue. But 
across the nation, 90 to 95% of the women that are trafficked are Americans. So it's not an issue of women being trafficked across the borders so much. Um, it's a matter of having a military presence. Um, we ha- we're a vacation city, and, and we have men who come here for um, uh, business conferences and things. So it's a, a large population of unattached men. Um, and I think also because it's a warm city, we have a lot of um, homeless young people, and they are very vulnerable to being trafficked. So, so that's interesting. It, if they're actually physically out and about and, and available. Um, right. Yeah. You know, one of the questions I had for you, Susan, that I think is really important, you sit on um, several human trafficking advisory councils and committees, um, and yeah. I, I wonder what's, what is the greatest obstacle that you face when you're sitting around the table at these meetings trying to make a difference in such a big, broad, scary problem? What is, what's one of the greatest obstacles that comes to mind for you um, that you're facing as a group? I would say two things. One is that people don't realize what is happening. I, I believe that um, given the education of, of what is happening in our country with our young people being trafficked over and over and over again, um, I, I don't think people would walk away from it. I think people would care and want to do something about it. Right. And that's what we see over and over again. The other big issue is um, finances. We, there's just very little money available for um, sex trafficking survivors. Um, laws are only beginning to be changed, and, and laws have to be changed before funding comes in. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of the programs that work with sex trafficking survivors are um, operating off of donations and small grants. Yeah, and isn't that awful, you know, to have to say that, that that something like this cannot be um, tackled sooner than later because of money, but that's just the truth of it, because it takes takes manpower and all kinds of things. You know, Susan, you're so incredible to be doing this kind of work, and and you are going to be part of this solution, and there's, there's certainly more awareness. Awareness is always first. Right. You right. have to, to make people aware of it and then move them emotionally. And, and things will happen. I mean, on the positive end of it, it's being talked about more today than it ever has before. Yes. Um, we're joined by Dr. Dupre is with us. Dr. Beth Dupre, my co-host um, and surgeon yep, for Holy Redeemer Health System. And, and I know that before we had you on uh, on the line, one of the things she was talking about was, um, you know, she certainly works with a, women, young women all the time. And mm-hmm. um, we were wondering what some of the signs are um, that we can look for to see if somebody might be in trouble. Well, I think, you know, some of the signs are um, a youth who is followed by an older man and usually very controlling. And so for in a medical facility, he may be wanting to give the um, information. He may want to be in with the exam. Um, He may be the one that's paying for things. The girl is... um, very subservient looking, maybe fearful, 
um, eyes down, um, that sort of uh, body language. Um, but I think the other thing that maybe parents and um, concerned adults can be looking for are things like changes in behavior, um, changes in school, um, attendance or um, leaving school, uh, dropping out of school, that is, um, suddenly having more um, expensive clothing, um, having two cell phones or more, um, because they usually have a personal cell phone and then a business cell phone. Um, substance abuse is in it's funny people think that uh, substance abuse comes first but it's actually something that tends to happen after getting into trafficking um, which I think any of us would want to have something that would get us out of the situation that we're in and that is these women have thousand dollar quiz every day and so that's sex with ten men on average, um, 10 rapes is the way I look at it. Um, so they're, they're really living a nightmare. They're looking for a way to cope. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think Beth has a question for you, Susan. Uh, Susan, how, I mean, obviously you were quite young when this was happening to you. What, mm -hmm. um, what, what was your, um, the tipping point? What was the, what was the moment in your life that, um, I don't want to say swip, flip the switch, but um, created the opportunity for you to uh, choose to leave that life. Mm. Something that happens to a lot of young women. I got arrested. And uh, that may seem like a bad thing, but it was actually a good thing because it got me a break away from my trafficker. And a lot of times these women are, are very um, brainwashed, if you will. We see a lot of trauma bonding and um, that sort of thing where they actually have a bond with uh, the trafficker. And how often, so you're, you were arrested, not the trafficker. Seems exactly. ironic. That's usually what happens, even still, because the traffickers don't put themselves in any danger. They have the girls out there doing the work. They're back at home or in another hotel room um, working the computer, setting the dates, because that's where things happen now is on the computers. Um, and they're not in harm's way. The girls are. So, Susan, do you work with the police officers in the in the uh, in the like SVU unit or the uh, the vice squad to educate yes, very the police much. officers to help yes. to help these women that that are ready to receive help? Yes, we work very closely with them, and we do have a task force in San Diego. Um, not every city has that, but we work with those detectives and are available for when women um, do want that way out. Because that seems to me that would probably be one of your first lines of your offense is, you know, when, when they are arrested. Because, you know, I, I, from what I've read, I, I, you missed the part of the show we talked about it, but one of our um, leadership groups in their ministry leadership formation chose human trafficking as their, as their topic to educate us about. And I was blown away at the numbers. Um, yes. I, I live in suburban Philadelphia, and apparently there are many Amish women who in our area have been 
pulled into the sex trades because um, wanting, you know, wanting an experience away from their homes or whatever, thinking mm. that they were going to be doing one thing and it turns out another. And right. um, it really, it really, it put a wrench in my heart because I just, I, I, you see these kids who their lives are stolen from them. And exactly. For many of them, they don't have a way out. And they're very naive. So what better population for them to pick than young Amish women? That's what they're looking for is naive young girls. And I think the word traffickers should be sexual. They're predators. They're sexual predators. Whether they're having sex with these girls or not, they are predatory animals. They're out on the, uh, on the prowl looking for the the weak and the quiet and you know the ones that are don't have their own voice you know and that 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 to me is there are a lot of there are a lot of women out there in that age group right and i i can't imagine that they're anything but sociopaths because the way these women are treated the brutality that's inflicted on them um what's expected of them I can't imagine anybody doing that than someone that doesn't have a conscience. Oh, I agree. Exactly. Susan, can you, the women that have come to your wonderful place there in San Diego and have become successful and been able to leave the life for good, do you, what do you see um, as a difference between those women and the women who succumb and, and go back to that life? Well, we, we really look for somebody who's ready um, to, to make the change. And sometimes it's, hard, it's a difficult change to make. It's really the smallest things of moving from being up all night to sleeping all night to going back to school and picking up where you left off where you may have had um, difficulty. We have the psychological issues and we've got not only that trauma bond to deal with and uh, Stockholm Syndrome, but we've got that childhood sexual abuse, too. So there's a lot of psychological work that needs to um, happen. So it really needs to be a woman who has gotten to the point where she wants something different. Right. And let me tell you, these women are fighters. They got into trafficking because they were trying to fight to get out of some other situation. And that fighting spirit is what really helps them get out of trafficking and move on to a new life. Susan, could you share with us, um, you know, without naming names, but a a success story of of a young woman maybe that's close to your heart that um, was able to leave that life and and is doing well today? Sure. Um, We have several young women who are just doing so well and we're so proud of and we stay in contact with. Um, But one that comes to mind um, had some real substance abuse issues and um, she had to come and go two times to generate hope. So she left twice, came back three times or came in three times, um, but got that substance abuse under control, went through treatment, went through our program where she learned to love herself again, um, and is now in uh, college and is about to move into her own apartment 
has her own car, has just really gotten her feet on the ground and is moving forward. Oh, I love that. I love, you know, education is so key uh, yes. to helping these women. You know, and I... We have- Go ahead. We have a lot of women that um, come in and don't have their even high school diploma because the average age of entry is 12 to 14 years old, mm. a very vulnerable age. Yeah. And so they end up dropping out of school. And um, we know that education, college education, is so important to be able to survive in, in our country today. So just getting that high school diploma is a huge accomplishment, and we celebrate that every time it happens. Yeah, so, so important. Do you have any plans, Susan, for your organization to open in other parts of the country? We don't have plans to open in other parts of the country. Um, Our plans right now include opening a program for minors. Right now, as in many cities, those minors are put in juvenile hall when they're arrested, and they don't have a program to go to. Very few programs for minors across the country. Uh, It's, of course, more complicated to work with minors than with adults. A lot of red tape and dealing with the foster care system and child protective services and so on. So we would like to open a program for minors in San Diego. Would would you say, Susan, that the work and the success that you see with some of these women is what continues to give you hope as you do this work? You know, I imagine you, you see and know about some very, very difficult matters. And I always wonder about women like you, um, what it is that allows you to continue to be hopeful. Mm, it is absolutely seeing them change and grow and develop and launch Um, seeing them heal, seeing them learn to love themselves again. And I spend a lot of time with them, and that just feeds me. It feeds my soul. You know, I read that that three things that have been um, very um, key to helping you to overcome your own experience were uh, education, psychotherapy, and God. And... um, those are three great things. And I wonder if you feel that you have really um, moved past your experience 100%, or do you still sometimes kind of revisit those same feelings uh, of insecurity? Wow. I think for the most part, I've moved past it. But I don't think really that anybody moves 100% past that kind of trauma. Um, I've had some <clears throat> some really good therapy with EMDR, which I think is the best thing for post-traumatic stress disorder, which all of the women come with, and I, I had as well. Um, but I think feeling that I have um, God in my life and healing in that way as well has also helped me overcome a lot. But there's there's still those moments 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And there and there always is for any experience that we have in life. I, we only have a moment left. I want to uh, read one of your favorite quotes because I think it's really powerful and speaks to the work that you're doing. Um, and it's a quote by Nelson Mandela. Um, mm. To be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. And you mm. are certainly doing that every day. Thank you. Can you tell me real quick how anyone who's listening who might want to uh, help your organization can do so? Sure. They can go to our website, which is www.generatehope.org, or they can email me directly at susan at generatehope.org. Okay, that's terrific. Susan, I'm so glad you were able to join us for the second half of the show. We really appreciate your time, and um, we'll continue to to follow and, and watch the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. And Dr. Beth Dupree, thank you for joining me today. As always, and I, Susan, I have to say I... You know, this is a very timely story for me, having, you know, really had my eyes open to this. Um, Because a lot Mm. of times I would think that uh, women that were in the sex uh, trade industry were, um, it's not by choice. And I think that's one of the biggest things that opened my eyes is nobody ever does it by choice. Nobody wakes up and says, I would like to go into prostitution. And it's it's being prey to those that are out there looking and uh, so I think that's the big take-home lesson for everybody listening is that people don't do this by choice absolutely thank you for pointing that out great thank you ladies that's it everyone for this week of women to watch have a great week and we'll talk to you next week